Welcome to the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Jess Mayhew. I cover nightlife and spirits for Baltimore Magazine, and this podcast is an extension of that coverage. We talk about bars, drinks, and the people that bring them to you. So welcome to Buzz in Baltimore, the podcast about craft beverages in Maryland. Um, I am here at Duclaw Brewing Company in Rosedale. I'm with founder Dave Benfield and head brewer Brandon Stanko, who I've heard is just called Stanko. So I'm just going to call you Stanko. That's perfect. <laughs> if I called you Brandon, Brandon might be too formal. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being on the podcast and having me in your space. Um, Anytime. It's been a little while since I've been here and it looks it looks awesome. Oh, you can, thank you. You can tell the growth. So, Dave, I know Duclaw's been open for a very long time. It's been around in Maryland, one of the longest opening breweries around. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you first get into craft brewing all those years ago before it was like, quote unquote, cool, before it was certainly something people were monetizing? Um, how did you get into it and how did Duclaw come to be? So I went to college at Loyola in Baltimore. Okay. And in our junior year, one of my roommates brought back a homebrew kit that he got for Christmas with the understanding that we could make two cases of beer for the price of $10. That's what the materials cost. Yeah. And it's at good the time, economics. <laughs> it was great. At the time, our drink of choice was Bush Light, which mm-hmm. was $9.99 a case. So we could get two cases of the beer for the price of one. So we were resourceful in scrounging up our alcohol. We made our own wine. We did other stuff eventually too. But So we started brewing it for us. And then by the time senior year came along, um, we were barely drinking anything I was brewing because if you were a friend of mine, if you gave me a six-pack of bottles, I would fill that six-pack for you at no charge as long as you gave me the bottles. Good friend to have. I know. And by <laughs> the end of my senior year, basically everything I was making I was giving away. And then I said, man, this would be a great idea. We should make our own beer and in a restaurant setting because we knew we did some research and knew that was legal. And I was like, but no one's ever done this. Meanwhile, there were like hundreds of them around. <laughs> um, but if you've never seen it, it's exactly, never happened. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, we just felt that in the restaurant setting was really good because we could we didn't have to worry about packaging and bottling, talking to retailers or distributors. Right. You're right there with the customer. And um, so that's kind of how it started. And that was in college. I graduated in 92, and we opened up the restaurant in 96. So it took me about four years. Did you know what kind of beer you wanted to make? You said you were drinking Bush Light, which yes. obviously you know we all have familiarity with. But And the beer that you were making, I'm sure, wasn't great at first but did you have an idea of where you wanted to go yeah well even back then um there wasn't as crazy as beers as we have now obviously everyone's pushed the boundary but even doing a blonde ale or an amber which we had in mind a blackberry wheat these things were cutting edge and overwhelming a lot of people that weren't even uh, used to craft beer so um we were i guess what you'd call now more in the classic styles the meritsons Mm. um either English ambers or just amber straight up. We did an Americanized version of it. Um, porters, for sure, in yeah. that sense. Um, and even when we did the blackberry wheat, that was the, like, Oxford raspberry wheat was around, but so there wasn't a lot like it. Right. So that's where we were looking. Now, over the course of 20-some years, we keep pushing the boundary, finding new things, finding new things. So no, never thought it would come to what we're doing now. Right. Um, but at the time, we were... You know, we did Baltic porters. We did very quickly, though. We were infusing coffee into beer because that was the easiest way in a small brew pub that you could do it because you just put the beans in the in the front. They were right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just interesting because some of those flavors you're still doing today. Yep. Two decades later. Yeah, there's cool. a lot of looping. I mean, fruits just and what kind of right. base beer? It just is, a so. cycle. So you guys uh, obviously started in the brew pub model, which nowadays is not how a lot of breweries start out. Mm-hmm. Um, Although back then, it certainly kind of uh, kind of was. I mean, yep. you had places like like the Wharf Rat and Brewers Art and, and you Sissons, guys yeah. and Sissons, of course. Um, so how did that help you launch into craft beer, but also what were the challenges of starting out as a brewery? Yeah, pub? I mean, I would definitely wish the law that allows a brewery to just have a tap room without any food was in <laughs> existence. Um, it, it was definitely a challenge because you had the food side. Um, it just... We were legally required to have 50% food. So you had to balance your building and how you built your bar and how you did everything that you're not just selling all this beer and a little bit of food. Um, That being said, 
being right next to your customers as a restaurant and just understanding how customers are, um, what they like, what drives them to come in, what attracts them, what turns them off, that kind of stuff. It was a really good learning experience. And I think that really helped us in craft beer because we were right there. So if they didn't like it, you heard it, and you heard it first thing. It wasn't like it is today and untapped or whatever where you right. don't know what their styles are. You could ask them, well, I don't like this. Do you like IPAs? No, I don't like IPAs. Okay. And then, then I don't yeah. need to worry about your opinion. But um, And we also were able to really craft the brand to them. So we started doing releases where we had videos on the screens and, and we were filming these like almost movie-like trailers. So the beer release was more than just the beer. So we were able to really make a deep connection and we learned that that's what you try to do with beers. You're just making that deep connection. The restaurants, that's why all there's all this gray in the beard. <laughs> the restaurants are just a tough business. Oh, my gosh. So everything you hear about them is 100% true. It's just tough. Yeah. And so um, I would have much preferred, though, to have the taproom style that mm-hmm. we can have today. So, which is one of the big challenges. Is one Ever-changing beer laws are tough to build a business on. Right. Um, but at the same time, having a tap room and food trucks would be awesome and I think better for the customer so it's just you were ahead of the curve a little bit very much so yeah my timing has not been very good (laughs) well but it's it's interesting because now it seems like brewers are trying to find ways to get closer to their customers Mm -hmm. and you guys were right there with them in the beginning so it's it's almost like you there was so much going on that was that was right for you even though there was the challenges of the kitchen and the back end and IT, which I know is where uh, Stanko comes yeah. in. Um, so it's interesting, Stanko, you came in through, you were doing IT for all of the restaurants, right? Um, so did you always know you wanted to be in the beer world and this was kind of like your way to get in or how did that work? Yeah, I was a pretty avid home brewer. I'm just brewing beers at home and working you know, full time in healthcare IT. And then I saw the ad open up here and I just thought, you know, I couldn't, I didn't find any other brewing job. So I was like, okay, well, working at a brewery would be awesome. I'll go ahead and, and apply for the IT position here. So, and I know how to fix computers yeah. and POS systems yeah. and anything that would break Networks. down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, how did you kind of go from, okay, I'm helping out with the POS systems to I'm actually brewing in, in the production side of it? I actually just, um, like the first year that I got hired here, I was just like a super avid home brewer and I would um, enter in any competition that I could get my hands on and I would always either place or win that competition and I would always bring some into Dave and, and everybody here and everybody seemed to like it really well and we had a few um, really good conversations about craft beer and where it was going and where it was going in Maryland, where did we see it, um, you know, bringing in, you know, really crazy wild beers from Pennsylvania and just say, hey, try this, try that and that's where like the tired hands was going, that new trend. Right. So it was just like, um, this came to a point of like, when they were selling the restaurants, I was like, okay, well then, you know, let me find, you know, let me make my way out, you know, of that. And then um, I was very fortunate enough, Dave asked me to stay on, if I could work, you know, do IT still and work the packaging line. So I went to the end of the packaging line and worked my way over to the brew house. Hey, I mean, you got it. Pa- two packages in one. He can do IT and he can <laughs> yep. make great beer. Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna yeah. keep you around. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that transition you mentioned the restaurants closing. Um, I think I remember Fell's Point uh, pretty well because mm-hmm. that's where I that's where I still live and that's where I would hang out. Um, I remember when that restaurant closed and and they've sort of been gradually closing. So what was the mentality behind going from that brew pub model to okay bottling, canning, distribution? And we're gonna open this big facility in Rosedale. How? Why did you? And how did you make that mental shift? So initially, um, we were looking to make a concept change to the restaurant and try to franchise them out. Mm-hmm. We felt that if we lowered our footprint, made it smaller, more evening, like a pizza, small sandwich, salad menu, that you could franchise them and then we'd make the beer and sell the beer to the franchises. And this was a good way to expand what we're doing and how we do it. Right. Um, we realized we had to have a bigger brewery to do that. So we also were kind of looking to say well if we do that do we want anything in package at the time we were looking at it like how fridays might have frozen meals that Mm -hmm. you could take so it was like well it's worth exploring so then we started putting out some 22 ounce bottles and they started selling really well and then they were selling well enough that we said well let's look at a small amount of 12 ounce bottles and that was in around 2011 and they started selling extremely well and then you started looking at this saying well i think i can sell a lot more of this beer and I don't have to be in restaurants, right. which carry, it's a lot of coordination, a lot of people. 
And we said, well, even if we're going to do the franchise, we need a larger facility, let's proceed this way. And then we started selling more and more and quickly realized that in late 2011 that I'm outgrowing this facility, outgrowing the machinery I have. And so we, we decided, we signed on this space in August of 2012, and we opened in April of 2013. And, and we, it's a lot bigger than where you were, right? Much larger. <laughs> yeah. And we went from 6,000 barrel capacity where we were 100% at capacity. We opened here with 15,000 barrels, and in about a month we got right to capacity. Wow. So we've added more and more on, um, a lot off the strength of Sweet Baby Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. And we had to spend the first year just learning how to make beer and distribution levels at this volume and sending trucks out. And the classic stories we tell is we ran out of bottles because there was a snowstorm in Chicago. Mm. So we have to pay attention now to weather because our bottles are coming from further away than Chicago, but they couldn't cross through in the trucks, so right. we so couldn't get them. You've got to look at the like Midwestern yeah, meteorologist. We That's learned, crazy. We had to learn a whole different way of running a business and what you had to do. And then eventually we looked at it and said, I like the beer side. That's why I got into this. Um, right. The leases in the restaurants were coming up for renewal. So either you sign on and commit to another 10 years um, or you don't. And at the time, you know, I was 45 or 46. And I was like, do I want to be running restaurants till I'm in my mid-50s? Stressful. And, yeah. And yeah. we really like the beer side. So we either said, hey, we just won't re-up and we let the space go. Or in a few of our restaurants, we were able to, to have leases, sell them off and work with people. Um, and do it that way, which then that allowed us just to focus on production and brewing beer and, the, and not have restaurants on the side. Right. So. And I think anyone that's paid attention to um, craft beer in Maryland in the past five years has noticed a change in Duclaw, um, mm-hmm. not only in the beer and uh, the graphics, but also in your staffing. And I just wanted to talk about sort of when that change in your heads kind of began and when you said okay we can't just keep doing what we've been doing craft beer landscape has changed Mm -hmm. um a lot especially the past five years we've been around for a really long time but we've got to kind of switch gears a little bit so was it was it bringing on sort of new head brewers like like stanko was it more of a gradual effort what when did the change kind of happen and, and why um well the it definitely had to do with personnel. So mm-hmm. we've we've always felt, even from 96 and 2000, 2001, 2002, we've always been doing cutting-edge beers. Um, once we opened here, just keeping up with the production volume and so on, you get into a rhythm, and you're dealing with distribution. You have layers between you and the customer. You're trying to appeal to a distributor, appeal to retailers, right. and so on. So you get a little confused in where the market's going, but we noticed probably in 2015 and 2016, we wanted to go in a certain direction, and there was resistance from distribution networks. There's also resistance inside the company. Um, and as we were, as I was trying to push in even for that change and just going through that, you felt that you wanted to take beer in a while, but no one was wanting to walk along as well as it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And actually, this is how Stanko got his job, because um, as we were down doing our beer tastings and we're talking, you could see a, a philosophical split occurring between hmm. that. And um, you could see where I thought the market was going. You could see where he was traveling down to Virginia and Richmond or up there and paying $25 for a four-pack of beer right. and not even knowing what he paid. I mean, that was one of the things. I said, how much you pay for this? And I was like, I don't know. I don't remember. You don't even remember? <laughs> had to go look it up and $25. And I was like, so you drove two hours and you paid $25. It must be good. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, it was saying we want to go in this direction. And we had two main challenges. We had We had to get the people that we felt could carry it. But with the success of Sweet Baby came the other side, people, distributors especially, were like, this is the beer you make. If you try to make this beer, we don't like that. They put you in a box. Exactly. Yeah. And so we realized we had to figure out a way to shake people's perception. And we put out certain beers that just disappeared. Distributors didn't want to carry it. They weren't behind it. And we thought the liquid was awesome. We thought everything was awesome. But it still didn't connect. So we had to come up with a different way. So as we brought people in, Stanko came on board and we looked at stuff. We decided that you just have to make things that are so out to the edge and so whatever quality. And that's when our 16-ounce series kind of started mm. with doubles and with the sours. And we knew we weren't going to change everyone's mind overnight, but we just kept putting them out. 
Yeah. And we kept doing things like Gozo's, where you've got a cantaloupe and a Goza. I love that um, beer. You're doing 32-ounce double IPA dad bod. You know, you're putting out these sours every six to eight weeks, and you're coming up with this stuff, and you're still doing it. And we made sure we avoided anything where you would flavor because with Sweet Baby, if we did anything, people would like it, but they would say, no, you guys are the ones that put peanut butter or you put coconut in beer. That's all you can do. You can't make an IPA. So it took that uh, iterative process for us to finally get it out, but a lot had to do with finding people that saw it the same way, that saw the creativity the same way. And the example is our sour program, just embracing that. Being able to say, we're going to put out one new sour every eight weeks. It has to be crazy. It has to be good. It has to be in this way. And we're just going to be able to do that repetitively until we convince people you got to pay attention to us. Yeah, it's kind of breaking. Even though you know the actual reality is different, it's changing people's perceptions. Exactly. That's the big that's the big hurdle. Um, and Stanko, how, so you talked about that philosophical split. So, so what specifically were you saying that you wanted to, to sort of change or evolve in the actual liquid? And how do you think you guys have done that? Like what, what are these changes? How are you seeing that in the beer itself? I think it always, I think it comes from Dave's like mantra or, or motto, like craft be cherished, rules be damned. Just, you, you can't tell me that I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And it's just always one of those things of thinking of like, why not? You know, we started off, you know, early on with just like a single raspberry like just a five and a half percent sour and then we just kept building that up and it's just always like well you know we always have these powwows together like hey what do you think about this what do you think about that and, and you know sometimes it's like hey let's get a little bit more creative or no i like that let's go with it and it's always just thinking outside the box and thinking you know what's what's cool what is something that nobody has ever done before like the patriarchy i've never seen anybody do the uh, pistachio and dark cherry mm-hmm. you know that's kind of something that's you know pretty savory and pretty cool so why not and I think one of the other things, too, is, like, um, for the sour ale festival that we're going to have, somebody was like, you should do a pizza sour. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, you're done. You weren't like, you're crazy. You were like, no, okay. I was like, I'll do it. No problem. Because, you, you like, you, one thing is, like, don't tell me no and, and don't, like, give me that, like, you should do that because I'll do it. Right. If there's yeah. resistance, I'll do it. Yeah. Okay. How the Easy. hell would you do a pizza sour? Uh, tomato puree, equinot dry hops, and maybe a little bit of garlic and... Um, my God. Yeah. A ton of oregano. You, yeah. can, you can do <laughs> yeah, it, basil. I guess. It's yeah, possible, yeah, yeah. right? Well, and so when did the 16-ounce series start exactly? So a year ago, a year we, ago. St- we started um, about a year and a few days ago. I came up with my time hop on uh, Facebook. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and um, so we started just small 10-barrel batches in a little Grundy milk tank that we did the, the sour first, and then we transferred that, and then we did the pastryarchy. Started at the same time, just small, like 100 cases, 16-ounce cans. And then we've just grown it from there. Each time, it's just getting like a little bit more momentum. And and this this past one, uh, our newest one, Unicorn Farts, is the most we've ever made for the sour alone. So, so far, people yeah. seem very excited about that one. Well, the other thing too is we pride ourselves on we drink you know, a lot of beer. Period. But we try a lot of other people's beers. Yep. We we either have our reps from other states where we can't get it, ship them into us, whatever. So one thing we pride ourselves on is knowing what good beer tastes like. Right. Uh, that's the big thing. And, and as we, you said, making these shifts, these guys were driving two hours to try these beers, drink these beers, and paying this thing and say, this is where beer is going. Um, and sometimes it looks so obvious, but you just need to make that leap. In 96, when you opened, there wasn't a big craft market, but you were the, I was a craft beer customer. And then you see as we we started bringing people in that are brewers that are deep into that craft beer side, that this is what I like, I want to try these things. And that's kind of how you end up pushing and saying, I drank this, I really like this flavor, let me try something this way. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's that inspiration from trying all that stuff. Yeah, you want to make what you want to drink at the end of the day. So how have you seen that perception change um, in the year Plus that you've kind of been shifting your products and shifting your branding. Um, I know that um, Madeline, your director of PR, told mm-hmm. me a story about Brooke from the Wine Source coming mm-hmm. up to you and, and sharing his very honest feelings about yes. Duclaw. Um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and then how that, and you ended up hiring him, right? Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. And I think that's so cool that you're taking sort of these really honest perceptions of your brand and saying, okay, let's see how we can change that and I want to know how people are reacting. Yeah, so even with Brooke, so when he worked at Wine Source, we kind of felt this is the path we wanted to take and we had actually went to our distributor and like we want to sell 
these double IPAs and these sours, but we want to sell them in 16 ounce cans. We People see these as a premium format. If you put it in 12 ounce bottles, it's not as attractive as it right. used to be. 12 ounce cans are okay, but 16 ounce cans, these things look nice, they feel nice, people like them. He was very reluctant, so he actually went to wine source to talk about it and they said yes but you know Duclaw we see them a certain way so he brought me there to hear their points and hmm. pretty much everything Brooke was saying we were already in agreement with and said well yeah what happens if you do this he's like oh that's a great idea so we had already were thinking in that way um, his ideas and his, his kind of statements and what his thoughts all kind of reinforced where we said this is where we want to march and, and it kind of worked so we were already on that path, and it just gave us more confidence. Then we started executing it, um, and uh, there was there was critique that he gave. So mm-hmm. you know, some people might be pissed or mad and say, oh, I don't want to talk to you anymore. But, again, this is where the benefit of the restaurant came in. I've been called an Critiqued. idiot a, a billion times. <laughs> so you learn to just make it better, just, right. you know. That's Make such a great better. attitude that you yeah. have, though. Honestly, not everybody would have that. They, well, they would have been like, screw you, what do you know, and walked away. But the fact that you were able to say, you know what, you're right, we've already been thinking these things, well, that, it's a credit uh, to you. Yeah, well, thank you. And But the key is is that even though I might make a beer that I like, I need to constantly figure out what you guys like. Right, right. Um, and see why things change. And something that seemed like, oh, maybe it'll be a good idea, all of a sudden looks like, no, that's a stellar idea. And so we did that, and we were always visiting and working with him. And so, yes, to the point to where um, we had just put out Strawberry Letter 23, which was our first sour IPA that we kind of put out in flavor. And it was going over very well. And like, and he came in for a trade show, and he was basically like, I would like to come work for you guys. So our running joke is is that, you know, we hire our haters <laughs> eventually. And so, I love um, that. That's awesome. But he said a couple of points which really stuck, which was if another other breweries that are well-known breweries did this, people would be losing their minds over this. It's frustrating hmm. that even though you do the liquid, you might not be getting kind of the, the nod that you should be getting. Um, because people have a perception, perception of you right. that's... That's from a while ago. A hundred percent. Yeah, and they yeah. can't get out of it. hundred percent. And so it, it just, and then you see that momentum and everyone's feeding into it. And it just made emboldened. In fact, we actually had a meeting where we had a distributor saying we should, which beer it was, whether it was Strawberry Letter 23 or one of them, you need to change it a certain way. The distributor left. What was great is the collective group of guys around there said, there's no way in hell we're, you're changing this. Hmm. We like it the way it is which was awesome because instead of me saying, well, should I do this or what are they saying? You had enough people saying there's no way in hell you should change it so you can walk with confidence. And hiring people like Brooke, Stanko, other brewers here that we have, and we taste it, like with Unicorn Farts, we you know we had to make a beer that tastes like Fruity Pebbles, which first of all, trying to figure out what Fruity Pebbles really taste <laughs> like is a challenge. Sugar, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so when they everyone sits there and says, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. You have so much more confidence. You feel because good about it. every brewery has this. You bring this beer out and you hope to God people like it. Right. And you might like it. You think it's great. And everyone says, nope, it sucks. Yeah. And so that's every challenge you have. So we, but having those other guys in to feed into it. And then it is ideas and names and, and concepts come in and you just start rolling with it. What are you hoping or, or have heard the difference in perception of Duhaw has been? Like, what did you want that change to sound like from people? Um, well, it's it's bittersweet. <laughs> um, so because obviously we knew we had negative in the past, but you didn't realize just how negative. And it's weird because that that opinion rests in the Baltimore area. It right. does not rest in other places in Ohio or wherever where people are, think I can go to Vin, Ohio, and they have Sweet Baby, and they're like, it's the most amazing beer I've ever hmm. seen. It was Sweet Baby had a blessing and a curse at the same time. Um, so, but what it's nice is they're actually taking the time to look. Because as we made these other beers, I think, like you said, people are like, I don't even want to try it. Mm-hmm. Or they only do this. And part of that is when you have a success like that, and especially with distributors and everything, they're working what works. You know, they're right. pushing it Dumbing as much down. as they can. Yeah. Exactly. And, and we would bring things out and like, why would you want to even work on an IPA? You're selling so much of this. We never have been a company where we're like, nope, we're only doing this. We're always making the, the next yeah. new beer we make is our favorite beer. Yeah. Like, and so it was learning that and being able to kind of craft that. So it's cool hearing where people will sit there and say, like, 
you know, I never paid attention to you guys, and now all of a sudden, you know, everything you come out with is solid, or I can't wait, and even to the point of unicorn farts. It is gone from people telling us, why would you put the word fart on a label? <laughs> and we think that's not a good idea, to other distributors saying, I'm not going to even carry this beer, to now where they've ordered more of this sour than they've ordered all of our seasonals in the last three months. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And we had to stick to our guns, because we get we were told, is like, you shouldn't put fart on the label. It just yeah. will not sell if you don't do that. It's and a different. It's a different, uh, you know, demographic that's drinking beer now. They're obviously they just keep getting younger, quote unquote. Obviously, they're always twenty one, but you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Their yeah. interests are changing, and they might be a little more open to something kind of sillier, depending. You know. Yes, but then I also find what's weird is we've done these crazy names before, and people have told us the same things. It, it, so it is different people and it's a little different here but it's really craft beer has always been this way it's finding a new place where you're in a realm and everyone telling you you're stupid for doing it and then eventually they start drinking it and then then the beer you've made that they always love then all of a sudden they're tired of it and like why do you guys make that because everyone's (laughs) onto this one so (laughs) which all speaks to your original ethos of not really following the rules anyway you just yeah um and so that we can go into sort of the the tasting of it because you mentioned sure. unicorn and I think what's really really cool is you guys are going to be partnering with Baltimore Pride on mm-hmm. it. Um, yep. So we uh, I feel lucky enough to be able to try it today because it's not sure. even out in the world yeah, yet. Yeah, this right? is a prototype, so this prototype. isn't the finished batch. So it's um. But so obviously on appearance and Stanko did the flashlight trick. He showed okay. me there's edible glitter in yes. here, um, and that's something that I guess other breweries have uh, toyed with mm-hmm. um, in the past. But how what what was it like? Is that just an ingredient just for show? Does it affect anything? It doesn't affect anything. It's yeah. just for show. And we would have, have, like, have it written on the label in kegs like to kind of store upside down or roll gently before pouring out and that sort of thing. But gotcha. It yeah, kind of came fairly from, simple. It know? is. You just add it. Yeah. But we looked and we are saying, okay, first of all, you're making a Fruity Pebbles beer. It's right. called Unicorn Farts. And I was like, if you're going to go in this direction, you might as well own it. And right. And it's like, we should put edible glitter into it. And you're like, oh, my God, this yeah. is this is just crazy. And so it's expensive. Yeah. It's, it's not cheap. Not at all. <laughs> like, it was, it was crazy expensive. Um, but it just when you say it out loud, you have a beer that tastes like Fruity Pebbles with edible glitter, and it's called Unicorn Farts. People pay attention. It, it's a hook. As a, as a beer writer, I, I, told, I was like, I, we got to write about this. I mean, And that was like somebody was just like, we should put edible glitter. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, not, no problem. We can Again, do that. Like, yeah, you're not crazy. We can do it. I was like, let me just <laughs> we'll figure out. it out. Yeah, let me figure it out and like find out who I, who I can buy from. So. And it, it all came from um, Diablo Donuts. Yeah. Uh, we were, I was down there, and we were talking about doing a collaboration trying the donuts and so on and we had five or six ones and we went over to the case and it's donuts set in there and fruity pebbles that said unicorn farts and of course it caught the attention and you're like i think that's brilliant and that's we moved 180 degrees and let's go do this and i came back that day and i was like okay one, this is what I want to do, and two, I don't know what fruity pebbles taste like. Right. I know it's fruity, but what is this fruit? How well, did you develop that flavor profile? Well, when he came back, he was like, "Oh, we're gonna do a sour," and I was like, "Wait, I thought this was like pastry, yeah. like dessert, decadent mm-hmm. donuts, like let's do that." And he was like, "No, we're doing a sour," and I was like, "All right, let's go, let's do this." So, yeah. But coming up with the, the flavor profile was just more of like we Dave actually bought a box of fruity pebbles and like, "Hey, let's figure this out." And we, and we thought we knew, like, some of the flavors, and then we thought we had some other things, and it was kind of one of those things that, like, well, I think it's this way, like, we should move in this direction, so. That's very cool. And we tried certain things, and this is kind of our third iteration mm-hmm. as like, even final prototypes, but. It smells like Fruity Pebbles on the nose, yeah. which is the craziest thing, because, like you said, what is Fruity Pebbles even? I mean, I probably haven't had a bowl yeah. in well, since even I was little, little so I can't even remember. Fruity, yeah. So, um, and great concept but then that's when you're like man how do i do this so right and when is this going to be kind of released to the public uh i think our first ship dates are mid-march okay so, so you probably start seeing it in stores the end of march beginning of april in those 16 ounce cans yep. Yep. very cool yeah. and um i know did we want to try something from the sour me series and you guys can sort of talk about that sure. program does that yeah. make sense okay yeah. do you want to do the honors sure Madeline's here on the sidelines, <laughs> helping crack beers and. And I think too, even with the Saramis side, where it comes in is um, technically crafting sours this way provides extra challenges because a lot of the fruit goes in post fermentation, mm. which 
historically in craft beer and beer in general, you don't want to do that. Right. That's not what you want to do because you can cause re-fermentation that occurs. So developing techniques where you know we definitely strip as much of the yeast out as possible uh, so you can keep the thing shelf stable as best, but dosing it you know, with the fruit as much as you can get without balancing the tart and the sweetness. Yeah, it's always a fine line between, you know, when does it become juice, when is it still beer, that sort of thing. We always wanted to keep it, like, you know, just very solid, just having it very juicy, but as well, you know, it's still beer. But it still tastes like beer, yeah. And the great thing with the Sour Me series, which I love, we do a lot of tastings, we do a lot of events, and... What you get is a lot of people saying, no, 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 I don't like beer. And you're like, try this. And they're like, and this is with a lot of sours, is they go, this doesn't taste like beer. I really like this. So what I like is from a craft beer, you know, a brewer, is that you're bringing more people into craft beer that weren't into beer before because now they have the sours and the sour IPAs. And and they're like, this this is really intriguing to me. You're getting a lot of the wine drinkers who said... I think beer is gross or right. people that only drink cider um, you're getting them into that new category yep. so how many how frequently are you coming out with new sours did you guys it's say? about every eight weeks every eight so weeks. it's kind of like in a under a two-month cycle but it's enough to where you're getting a lot of new ones but you're not just on top of one after another you're still letting people enjoy so how many have come out so far I think we're on our sixth one now. Six or six? Yeah, because we've done, we did raspberries, the first one. Blueberry was the second one. Uh, cherry blossom. Cherry blossom. Ginger, I had a, I had Asian pear. Ginger, pear. The peach. Uh, peach, peach sherbet. Peach, peach sherbet. Really good. I love that one. You sent me that one. That was really good. Um, yeah, so we're on our seventh or eighth one, I think. Sixth, seventh, eighth, somewhere in there. So they're sort of, they're limited releases. Mm-hmm. And when you get them, when you see them out there, you should probably get them yes yeah yeah. yeah. um especially in how this is done is like even in the world the distributors place an order well in advance and then we brew and ship that out and what i brew in five days of a sour i can brew in one day of a normal beer right so it really becomes a difficult process for a brew to do it because we do what's called kettle sour so we're souring it in a kettle and it needs to stay in there for a certain period of time and then that's taking up inventory space that oh, could be yeah. used by yeah. other things. Just, yeah. And so you can't make, like even right now with unicorn farts, the, actually, we actually had to today make a call. We're dropping another batch late next week. Um, and uh, it really ties up what we have to do. So you can't make a ton of them. Um, and they're not cheap. I mean, it's a lot of fruit. Yeah. Yes. It's a lot of fruit. Yes. But they're yeah. not, I mean, sours aren't going anywhere. People, no. it's... It, seems like what the market is demanding it's what they've been demanding for the past couple years and it seems like it's they're not going anywhere i just went to max's tap house there um, yeah sour day and yeah. it was packed Great. i've yeah. never yeah. seen on a monday evening afternoon super packed never seen it like that before that's crazy and i do think it is what we were talking about it's getting those other drinkers in into the beer category that didn't think they would um so that's great do you guys have a favorite of the sour me series are they all your babies? Uh, I like the peach sherbet. Yeah, I mean, that one's and the tangelo. I really liked. Yeah, the pe- peach was good. The ras- this raspberry is really nice too. You said this was your first one, right? Uh, kind this, of. A this single raspberry was our first mm. one. This is the double version. The double. So double the fruit, kind of double the ABV. Well, we had a higher ABV this time, so it was just kind of like a just a different spin on it. We did. It went so well the first time. Let's just try it again and, and make it just bigger, better, bolder packs more of a punch yeah. for sure no it's really good but it still tastes like beer it doesn't mm-hmm. taste like juice which is really is really nice yeah. um that's great and i know um you guys have been talking to about did you want to talk about the double ipa um i know that that was something that people were saying oh stick to the sweet baby jesus and you were like yeah. no we want to make ipas and double ipas so what was yeah. that sort of process like well we had a couple of that were brought out hop hammer and some other ones that came out and just didn't seem to catch on um we really started that push in the double ipas it was around father's day of last year we came out with a beer called dad bod and it was in a 32 ounce crowler form, so it was pure dad bod. Um, <laughs> it's a great, it's a great name. <laughs> pushing hops to the limit, doing everything uh, in that style, trying new hops, the Zeka hops, and so on. And then one we came out after that is this one here, "Never Tell Me the Odds," which um, I guess it was our first foray kind of into New Englands. Okay. And, uh, and every time in craft beer you come up with a new style, there's this wide range of what is this style. Right. So as we went in and trying to define the hops we wanted and how we want to do this, 
Um, this is kind of actually a reference um, because as we were making this change, you know, uh, you know, we came up with names like, you know, what are the odds that you can pull this off? Because we feel we've never, people never recognized our IPAs. They just, they look at Sweet Baby, they can't see anything else. And then we, were, you know, a lot of us are movie geeks. Some of us are movie geeks. Some of us aren't. <laughs> and so we were talking about it. I was like, oh, never tell me the odds. It's a great Star Wars reference oh, with Han Solo okay. going to the asteroid belt. And it looks like the opening <laughs> credits. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you'll see it. A lot of our names are either comic books or movies or things that... Beer we, nerds like kids. comic books and movies? I know. I, what, are the, what are the odds? Uh, what yeah. are the odds? <laughs> and so cool. as we push these, we each double IPA has to be significantly different than the other ones. We don't want to do it where they're all tasting very similar, so each one stands out on its own in a different way in how we approach it. Oh, that's really nice. And this one is what? Mosaic? Citra Citra Mosaic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and, got a really good mouthfeel, too. Mm-hmm. It's got that creaminess. Yeah, and we want really that nice. softness. Mm-hmm. We want that juiciness of the hops to shine through, to be present. No, um, it's, it's, it's And hide really the alcohol, because nice. that's 8%. Yep, so it doesn't drink, it doesn't well, drink like eight percent. No, we're very good at hiding our alcohol. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's dangerous, but no, it, it definitely tastes like a lighter IPA almost. And I think that that creaminess on the on the mouth certainly helps it too. Mm-hmm. Well, this is really cool. Now, is this a year round? No, or? this this was one that just just came out a couple of weeks ago, about okay. six weeks ago. Um, we'll have Dad Bod right before Father's Day. And that'll come back out. And then we have um, Rule of Three, which is a triple dry hopped, triple hopped um, IPA. And we're. That's my favorite. Yeah, that yeah. one's a nice one. That's not as New England y. It's more. Kind of West Kind of kind of a blend. Yeah. And then um, we have a new one. Uh, we introduce, So we'll bring those three back that we've had in the past. And then we have a new one coming out also, which so, we have not named yet. Right. We've TBD. talked about today. Yeah, we've had names. We were actually just talking today about it. Every eight weeks, we release a pretty much we release a, a sour, a dippa, and then the pastry. And are those so all typically on the same on the same schedule? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're releasing a sour, a double IPA, and then the pastry, pastry which we can try, which we yep. can try next. Yep. Um, and I, I had a question about the oh, why do you guys think the New England IPA trend just took off so much as it did? I mean, that, I feel like. We haven't seen something quite like that in the craft beer industry in a while. I think it was just totally different because uh, people were used to hop, hop, hops, like, you know, Rip your nails, your, your teeth. Yeah. Like I just, the Stone Brewing, like West the, Coast. You know, serum that, you yeah. know, uh, Duclaw's made in the past. Right. And like that. So, and I think once it switched over to, I also have, think it has to do with something like a, like a culinary experience. You know, people mm. were more okay. I've had beer, beer, beer with just hops, hops, hops. What else is out there? You know, people yeah. are doing stuff with, you know, wheat flour to make it hazy, the vanilla beans to make it, you know, a little bit, you know, soften up that the feel la- there. The lactose. Yeah, the lactose and all that. But yeah. your, um, you know, milkshake IPAs and that's sort of thing. Once right. that hit the, you know, board, it was just like off and running. And everybody else was just trying to, you know, figure that out, find that way out, what to do. But, um, and people became obsessed with the appearance of them. Yeah, they and the Well, nature. same yeah. thing is with the sours. We've had people come up and like, I don't like IPAs, and like, try this one. I'm like, this is an IPA, mm-hmm. and you're like, yes, it's different. It really can get these hops to come through. The subtleties of the hops, you know, were not overshadowed by the IBUs right. or by the body of it's it. It's not super bitter. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Um, so the pastryarchy, which is another, you guys love puns, mm-hmm. which I love too. So. Right up my alley. Um, it's another great name, and you. This is you were talking earlier. You had the dark cherry and pistachio was part yep. of this series. Yep. So, is that kind of the theme? Is to keep it like culinary and kind of, but more yeah. decadent. Just okay. think outside the box. Like, what are like some really cool things? You know, like blueberry pancakes. You know, blueberry waffles. That was we had a blueberry maple mm-hmm. um, one there in the pastry series. Uh, the dark uh, cherry pistachio, the pecan pie. Just some things that are just like really awesome you know, decadent dessert that you enjoy in real life, but why not have it in some sort of a beer form? Which we're known for with Sweet Baby, right. but we're kicking it up to a level to where, it, you know, it is premium. It's an imperial stout, uh, decent bit of alcohol behind it, but also pushing the boundaries and bringing those flavors in. In different ways to bring those flavors. It's a pecan pie. It really does taste like that. I feel like it's like Thanksgiving right now. And our our next one is an imperial brown ale with creme brulee coffee. So just thinking outside of that box, just like making it really cool, 
you know, decadent, just, man, I have to have that. I, I got to go out and get that. Yeah. And but, telling people you can do things besides peanut butter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what we like is, you know, we see, like, craft is you have your, your everyday. You're going to drink this every day. This is your everyday driver your drink core, or whatever yeah. it is. And then you have where you're in the mood and you want something that is different, but you like that extreme. Right. And then so as you, you go and you design it, we look and our challenge is how do you get the pecan and how when you get the cherry, how does this balance out? How are we doing these things that we do? Happen with, with gozos, even with the goza, you're getting cantaloupe in there. Right. You know, and how how is that balance and how those things work? And it's cool flexing your muscles in this because we have a lot of actually especially in the pastry we have more ideas then we have beer slots because there's yeah. so much you can do with it. And the process of the pecan pie, how did you guys incorporate that? The pecan um, flavor? It was just is it pecan or pecan? Do you guys have that inner debate? <laughs> no. It is. I mean, you wonder. <laughs> I do pecan. Okay. So. What about you? I do pecan. Yeah. Okay. So. I'll do pecan for yeah. the sake of the majority. Yeah, so how did you get that flavor profile? We bought a ton of pecans and we uh, just... Roast them in the uh, yeah, roast them in the oven for oh, okay. yeah, just batch after batch Probably after batch. Smelled really good when and you then adding them. them to um, the tank itself. You know? Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, that's... just trying to get that that all that caramelization out of it and the actual flavor of that too. Yeah, no, it's 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 really yummy. I mean, I would definitely think this is more of an after dinner beer. Um, yeah, maybe maybe colder months, so perfect for right now, right. obviously. Yeah. But is great and is that eight week model that you guys do is that typical is that something you've seen in other breweries or is um, that unique no because we initially we were around six but then it, it comes a little too fast and furious for everyone mm-hmm. uh, like any brewery that kind of has standard distribution you have partners distributors along the way and that rhythm is really nice for them and retailers to know i get this in it goes out i get the next one in i can rely on it i understand it but i'm not jammed up and it's cool that you have them part of a series, so they'll know exactly, we're going to get a sour, exactly. we're going to get a double IPA, and we're going to get a patriarchy. And it, it helps, too, because um, we can be very schizophrenic, like even in our restaurant days, you know, we were all over in different styles and so on. So a repetition and a theme helps a lot, and, and people start to look forward to it, and right. they, they start to realize, okay, what's next? Yeah. Which is nice. But also, even with the, the schizophrenic type you know, ideal right there. You know, sometimes we don't have a double IPA, but we'll have like an, a tart strawberry IPA to take its place. Good so transition. So like letter 23 was last year, it was a 16 ounce can. And it was just one of those things where like, well, you know, maybe people are, you know, double IPA out this yes. eight weeks or six weeks. Let's see what else we can do. So a tart IPA was kind of one of those things that we came up with. So that exactly. It was still filling that yeah, role. Slot. And yeah. the cool thing is, is that even though we make a lot of points, a lot of the things are unplanned. And so yeah. even though we had these series, uh, we had actually one of our, actually it wasn't even a brewer at the time, it was no, one no. of our cellarmen, um, Mark, we brought this oh, in to try. Mark, yeah. And I'm, I drink sours and I can appreciate light sours, but I'm not a big sour lover. Yeah. But you, you try this and you're like, this is really freaking good. So like, this is Strawberry Letter 23? Which is yeah. Strawberry Sour IPA. And where did that name come from? So everything in our sour IPA side is a music theme name. So okay. Brothers Johnson have a has a uh, song called Letter Twenty Three, gotcha. and so we then did a second one, which was an apricot um, sour IPA, and it's called Apricot Stealing off of Ben Caught Stealing from Jane's Addiction. Oh, uh, okay. And then we have a new one coming out in the middle of this year, um, which is a lemon drop hop. And yuzu, which is a Japanese fruit that's yeah. a lemon-like fruit, so it's called Troubles Melt Like Lemon Drops. Off oh, nice. song. So, yeah. so everything has a song thing too. I love that. That and sounds delicious. The lemon and yuzu. Oh, That'll good. be great. You said that's like in the summertime, or yeah, it's like Julyish time. Oh, that be perfect for that time yeah. of year. The tart IPAs come out every three, four months. Okay, tart IPAs come out every three or four months. And so the hops are balanced to accentuate the fruit. So with the strawberry layer twenty-three, it has a good bit of mosaic in there. Um, Because you can bring out. That's really good. And it's. And to have a tart IPA is a little bit different too. That's not Mm -hmm. something that's has a firm category anywhere necessarily. It it blends the best of both worlds. Yeah. No, this is really good. And can people get the strawberry letter now too? Yeah. So we'll have they'll they'll be out a whole year, but they're splitting the third. So strawberry letter is the first third of the year. Second third is Troubles Melting Lemon Drop, and the last third will be um, Apricot Steamline. Oh, awesome. So. That's great. And we're matching up when the fruits are available. That's our challenge, yes. yeah. is that strawberries come in a certain period of time, and then they go out. 
Right. Apricots are a good winter fruit, and they're always available. So um, same thing like with gozos. You know, cantaloupe. cantaloupe. Only in, you know, can- California cantaloupe is just coming into season. Okay. Thank God. Uh, so because <laughs> like the, the Oriole season's coming up. Yeah, exactly. Get it. So yeah. we got well, we had non-California expensive cantaloupe, but um, so we get like four hundred and some odd pounds. So four hundred and some odd pounds, and we just mix everything and put it in yep. so you're, you're doing this so having the availability of it getting it quickly fresh so all that stuff matters so. that makes sense no this is delicious that the tart ipa is really really nice mm-hmm. yeah um and when does the i know you guys have the, the orioles beer and the ravens beer which mm-hmm. is it's cool it's keeping it super hyper local yeah. for baltimore yeah. when does the orioles beer come out uh actually just yeah coming out next just week. it's packaging today okay so we were kegging Yesterday, no, we're kegging today. We're packaging Gozo's tomorrow. Correct. Uh, it'll ship next Tuesday to our Baltimore distributor so bond, and it'll be out. It'll be out probably when this podcast is out. Possibly. Possibly, yeah, yeah. They're, they're anxiously waiting for it. So yeah. as long as we don't have any problems, we'll be good. That's good. I know, because opening day is in March this year, so yep. it's, it's crazy how soon that is. Um, we have one more beer to taste, so maybe while mm-hmm. we try that, we can talk a little bit about your upcoming events, because mm-hmm. um, I know you guys have a couple cool things happening. Um so the first one is going to be on March 16th, and that's a release party for Unicorn Farts yep. and one other beer, right? Or um, is it creme brulee? Creme brulee? Oh, and the creme brulee that you talked about. So what's kind of, that's going to be in, in your Rosedale yep. facility. What's sort of going to happen that day? So on those can releases that we have, we, we have a couple of different kind of release styles. Um, the biggest one being like retro, Day of Retribution, which is huge. Right. Um, but this is the cans. Will be, a limited amount of cans will be available. We come here. Um, we the the tap room will be open, mm-hmm. so you can stay and hang out. There will be live music. Um, a portion of proceeds are going to benefit Pride, specific to the mm-hmm. Unicorn Park. Oh, sphere. awesome! And um, is that the GLCCB organization? Yeah, GLCCB oh. just changed their name officially to the Pride Center of America. That is that is way easier to say because yeah. I, yeah. I can never remember, remember that. that Congratulations, yeah. it's, you know, it's yeah. time. I think it's more recognized. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Um, There'll be a high heeled race with the Brewers. You People are you going to participate? In You're in it. I'm Do in you have your shoes picked out? Eight inch stilettos. I want. <laughs> oh my god! I couldn't even walk in eight inch stilettos. That's going to be interesting. Are you going to have some beers beforehand? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be awesome. And you guys have like a Facebook page where people can mm-hmm. find out Facebook more. Facebook event. Okay. Event, event break. That's so exciting. That's really cool. And I know you guys are um, kind of doing a lot of work to, to make your tap room more of a community mm-hmm. space. and But that takes time. Yeah. And you need to focus your time on the production, obviously. Well, yeah. And the law changes are always awkward. So when we built the facility, we built it in 2012. And the law changed in 2015. Right. You could be open all the time. The challenge is, if that law was in 2012, it would have cost very little to make the tap room open all the time. Now I have to basically tear it all out and rebuild it to meet all the code requirements that are in there. Okay. So it's just a... Uh, Again, with your timing. Uh, exactly. I know. <laughs> Trust me. This we say all the time. I was like... Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Whatever I think of, it's going to be popular five years later. Right, so, you're ahead of the curve. I know. So, um, and that's why we're doing actually the events is you build up saying this is, it can work and it's a good kind of business model that it can be in. Plus, I'm not going to lie, I'm hesitant going back into the bar business because right. somebody's got to manage everything. Right, you've got to have bartenders. And I have nightmares. I wake up in the middle of the night <laughs> screaming. So. you got to get that, again, that POS system up and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. One day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll, yeah, you look. I think honestly, it's if the the beer comes first, and if you guys are making great beer, which you are, then the rest will the rest will follow. Yeah. Um, and then, so the next event after that is going to be your sour me sour ale festival, yep. um, which Madeline described as shit ton of sour varieties. That's where my personal notes. Oh, I'm sorry. Those are personal notes, not the official press release. Um, and what's the date of that? April 13th. We're gonna have. At least 2025 20, um, sours on, plus stuff that I want to do, just have on hand, and pizza is life. So oh, I got a tattoo of pizza. Is that real? Yeah, it's real. Oh, uh, when did you get that? Uh, last Saturday. I was gonna say I can tell it's fresh. Yeah, from the... though, yeah. <laughs> so it was inspired by the pizza. Oh, sour? there was a Lyme disease fundraiser at um, a tattoo shop, and I was like, you know, good cause, why not? And then on some of the sheets there was flash, 
it was either between a taco and a pizza, and I was like, well, I'm doing a pizza sour, so. It was meant to be. Yeah. That's awesome. That's That's great. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, and that's again on Facebook. People Mm -hmm. can find that. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So I know we've talked kind of the whole podcast about how things have changed for Ducaw and sort of what's different, obviously, and we didn't really talk about the branding, but I think Mm -hmm. people can see that the branding is a little more, I guess, modern, you would say, yep. and you have a new graphic design uh, team doing um, doing that. But what are you proud of that's still the same about Duclaw? I know Sweet Baby Jesus is still your biggest seller. Yep. Um, you know, what is what is there still that you're like, I made the right decision 20-some years ago, and, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. and I'm still proud that this is this brand? Uh, I, I think just our approach to craft and that, how we see it, um, it's like as we go and we drink beer as I said before it's just knowing this is a good flavor this is how beer should taste um, and that kind of concept of like even with unicorn farts it's, it's a liquid that you had to figure out how to make it was a technical challenge if you're a beer geek you're like how do I do this um, but then there's the marketing challenges how do I get people interested in it so right. that's that whole customer side and that is, I think, something that we've done well with Sweet Babies, that prime example. It's a chocolate peanut butter porter that, especially when it came out at the time, not people have seen it, but the name really reinforces and it tells a great story. Um, we actually have a double IPA coming out in December, which uh, Stanko did was the, a year and a half ago yeah. when we tasted uh-huh. it. And it is a double IPA made with spruce tips. And... Uh-huh. It is a very good beer, but before he even tasted it, when he was presenting it, he said, here's my name for it. So you instantly fall in love with it because it's called Spruce Willis. <laughs> yippee ki motherfucker. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you know like, that I, we have a diehard par- watching party every year with my friends? I know. <laughs> so that will be our beer. And we run out of theater. Bar, you know it's a great Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. It's the reason why it comes around on Christmas. We have a drinking game with rules. Thing, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. This is the best. And so you fall in news. love with this kind of stuff as you go through it. And coming up with the names and kind of putting everything together and that whole thing um the cleverness of it you don't be you're not obvious but you're also just trying to really say hey here's our sense of humor as it comes across so i think that's where we go and how we feed off each other as a team because even with unicorn farts we start with one concept and then seven steps down the road other people are everyone's adding into it it's going in there and it's still a very fun time doing this kind of stuff so so that's the Duclaw uh, through line is the puns, yeah. I think. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for, for being on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. it was, it's was it been great to, to come out here since I have been haven't been out here in a while. And I've just cool. been admiring from afar what you guys have been doing. So I just it's great to say it in person. We appreciate that. Yeah, cool. yeah thank of course. You. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Cheers.